Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Well, if you turn in your Bibles to uh, Genesis 26, we'll get ready to start here. 26, verse 1. Let's pray first. Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word is enlightening to us. And that means so much to us, Lord, because in our darkness, it's your word that is a light to us and a lamp for us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would enlighten us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 26, verse 1. And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries... And I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father, and I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice, and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws, and Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And the men of the place asked him of his wife, and said, She's my sister, for he feared to say, She is my wife. Lest, said he, the men of the place should kill me for Rebekah, because she was fair to look upon. It came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out at a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, of a surety, she's thy wife. How saidest thou, she is my sister? Isaac said unto him, Because I said, Lest I die for her. Abimelech said, What is this thou hast done unto us? One of the people might lightly have lined with thy wife, and thou shouldst have brought guiltiness upon us. Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He that toucheth this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Then Isaac sowed in that land and received the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. The man waxed great, went forward, grew until he became very great, for he had possessions of flocks, possessions of herds, great store of servants, and the Philistines envied him. For all the wells of his father's servant had digged in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. And Abimelech said unto Isaac, Go from us, for thou art much mightier than we. Isaac departed thence, pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar, dwelt there. Isaac digged again the wells of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham's father, for the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. And he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. And the herdmen of Gerar did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water's ours. And he called the name of the well Essek, because they strove with him. They digged another well, strove for that also. He called the name of it Sitna. And he removed from thence and digged another well, and for that they strove not, and he called the name of it Rehoboth. For he said, For now the Lord hath made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. And he went up from thence to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared unto him, the same night, and said, I am the God of Abraham thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee, and will bless thee, and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's seed. And he built an altar there, and called upon the name of the Lord, and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants digged a well. 
Okay, our family has uh, recently taken on this project of going through all the old photos and the different albums and boxes to try to put together a photo album with the best pictures. There's so many pictures. So we're trying to pick out the best ones. So what we do is we look at each of those pictures and we ask the question, does that picture really speak about the person? You know, we're trying to find it. For example, you know, we got some old pictures of little David with his tool belt on. And we say, okay, that's just like David the worker. That's a good one. And then there's little Joseph, and he's in the goat pen there, typically being bossed around by David. And he's got that Joseph typical frown on his face. Like, you know, why do I have to do this? And that's just like Joseph the thinker. And then there's little Joshua, and we got a picture of him, and he used to take the old styrofoam inserts from the boxes and cut them up and make like easels out of it. And he used to paint uh, eagles on the pieces of styrofoam. That's just like Joshua. He's the feeler. As a matter of fact, those are the three words for our boys. Act, think, feel. So we look for pictures that portray acting for David and thinking for Joseph and feeling for Joshua. And it's a lot of fun. You know, we sit down and, and we go through those old photos and, and we just let those, those photos, they just speak to us. It takes time, and we have to sit down, and we study each one to find the the photo that has a lot to say. And usually, it's interesting, because you look at these photos, and you think about it, and you see it's not just one message, but, you know, you look, and you study, and you think about each of these pictures, and it's got a depth of meanings, but it takes a lot of time. So it's going on for months, this project. But we take the time, and we look and study and, and think about each photo. Well, what we've got here in Genesis 26 is God's photo album of Isaac. So God's already gone through the trouble, and he's gone through all the photos in the life of Isaac, and he's put together for us here in Genesis 26 the best pictures for us to see about Isaac. But more importantly, these are the pictures here that show us about Isaac and his God. And our goal as we carefully study this photo album is to learn the meaning of the name, as we said in the past, the meaning of the name of God is the God of Isaac. So in this chapter, what we've got are eight photos, eight pictures of Isaac. And that's what Genesis 26 is. It's a photo album of eight pictures of Isaac. And so, like with any photo album, we don't just flip from picture to picture, but we take time. We look at it, we study, we think about each of these pictures, each of these eight pictures. And we do that because we want these pictures to talk to us. We want to get all the depth of meanings behind each picture. So our goal in looking at these eight pictures of Isaac in this chapter is not just to see Isaac and and how Isaac was transformed, which he was, from being Isaac alone to being Isaac with his God, but we, we look at these pictures and we identify with Isaac because we see ourselves in these pictures of Isaac. And as we see ourselves, we see ourselves being transformed from being alone in life to being with God. And so we want to look at these eight pictures. All right. So it's kind of like scrapbooking. Clint would really appreciate this. <laughs> All right. So first we have here the first picture of Isaac in this photo album. And that's in verse 1 through 6. And verse 1 shows us that in this picture, we see Isaac's in a famine. That's a picture of trouble in Isaac's life. We all identify with that. That picture we identify with, trouble in the life. And this first picture, we saw in verse 2, that Isaac was on his way to Egypt to escape the famine. And in this first picture, we also saw in verses 2 and 3, that God commanded Isaac, don't go down into Egypt. Stay there in the land of the Philistines. 
And then this first picture, we saw in verses 3 through 4, that God made great promises to Isaac if Isaac obeyed him. So the first picture we see is the greatest promise that God makes to Isaac in verse 3, where he promises Isaac, I will be with thee. I will be with thee. And then in the first picture, we see in verse 5 that God encourages Isaac to obey him. And he reminds him about how Abraham obeyed him. And so that was God encouraging Isaac by saying to him, come on, Isaac, you can do it. You can obey me. You can please me. Come on, Isaac, look at Abraham. He obeyed me. He pleased me. And see from Abraham's life how he obeyed me and pleased me. And now you can do the same thing. And finally, in this first picture of Isaac, we see in verse 6 that it ends with Isaac obeys God. All that we see in the first picture of Isaac in the first six verses of the chapter. It's wonderful words in verse 6, and Isaac dwelt in Gerar. That's the first picture in the photo album we have here of Isaac. It's a picture of Isaac in a famine on his way to Egypt. It's a picture of God commanding Isaac to not to go down to Egypt, stay in the Philistines' land. It's a picture of God making these great promises to Isaac if he obeys them. And it's a picture of God using Abraham and his obedience to encourage Isaac to obey him. And finally, in this picture, it's a picture of Isaac obeying God and staying there in the Philistines' land. All that's in the first picture, and it's the most important picture because for Isaac, it's a picture of him obeying God. And no one has a life with God unless there's an obedience to God. That's why the first two questions that Paul asked are absolutely fundamental in his conversion, when he said in Acts 9.5, his first question is, who art thou, Lord? And the answer to that question is fundamental for any person, for every person to know. And in Acts 9.5, and the Lord said, I am Jesus. So no one can have a life with God without knowing that Jesus is God. And right after learning that God is the Lord Jesus Christ, the second question Paul asks is fundamental for everyone, and that is, he trembling, and in verse 6, Acts 9, 6, he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? No one has a life with God without obedience to God. So that's why the first picture here of Isaac is of obeying God is so important because Isaac's obedience to God, it just opened up the door for him to have a life with God. Now, the second picture of Isaac is in verse 7 where the men take this interest in Rebekah's beauty. And in this picture, we see Isaac in a state of fear and weakness. Now, this is the beauty of the Word of God here, because uh, people are portrayed for who they were. And we see Isaac here, and he's afraid, he's weak, and, and it caused them to lie and to say that Rebekah was his sister, which wasn't true. So that's the second picture. And the third picture in this photo album we have is of Isaac as a scene of Isaac in love with his wife. And he's playing like children play together. He's laughing. This third picture is consistent for the whole life of Isaac. Actually, we have three important windows that God's given us into the marriage life, the married life between Isaac and Rebekah, which are at the beginning of their marriage, the middle of their marriage, and the end of their marriage. The beginning of their marriage, Isaac's marriage with Rebekah, we saw how it opened in Genesis 24, 67, where it says, he loved her and Isaac was comforted. See, those words describe the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah, the start of their marriage, and in the middle of their marriage, and at the end of their marriage, and all throughout their marriage, that was the words. Isaac loved Rebekah, Rebekah comforted Isaac. You could just say that's what their marriage was all about. So what we have here in this third picture of Isaac in Genesis 26 is a picture of a man acting 
like an unreserved, innocent little child laughing with his wife. At the end of his life, he's the only one of the three patriarchs who only had one wife. I mean, that's the third picture that we see of Isaac here in verse 8, and it's a picture of Isaac as a one-woman lover. Isaac loved one woman in his life. And there are two very important New Testament verses that are linked to a fundamental Old Testament verse. And, And the fundamental Old Testament verse explains what God requires of man. And that's a verse in Deuteronomy 10.12, where it says, where Moses, addressing all the Jewish people, he says, and now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? A good question. But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, to love him and serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. And the two New Testament verses that are linked to that verse in Deuteronomy 10.12 are Ephesians 5 24 through 25 where it says therefore as the church is subject unto christ so that wives be to their own husbands in everything husbands love your wives even as christ also loved the church and gave himself for it so here we are and now these are the and now verse and now i'm a believer in the lord jesus christ what do i need to do and now i'm a follower of the lord jesus christ what does the lord require from me Deuteronomy 10, 12 there, it answers that important and now questions. You know, and now, Moses says, and now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? And Deuteronomy 10, 12 tells us there are two essential requirements for us, and they are to love and to serve the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul. See, those are God's two requirements for man. Those are God's requirements for each one of us. And those two requirements, to love and serve God, are so important to God that he wants us to learn that really well, so he gives us an everyday classroom to learn and exercise those two requirements to love and serve God. And that everyday classroom that God gives is the home, the marriage. Because that marriage classroom is described in Ephesians 5, 24 through 25, where it says those exact two requirements are presented in a marriage. See, Ephesians 5.25 says the husband should love his wife, and Ephesians 5.24 says the wife should serve or submit herself to the husband. That's what makes Ephesians 5.24-25 and Deuteronomy 10.12 linked to each other. See, Deuteronomy 10.12 is the goal, which is to serve and to love God. Ephesians 5, 24 through 25 is the classroom to learn to love and to serve God. If a man has learned in the classroom of marriage to love his wife, he'll be able to pass the test of loving God. If a man has learned in the classroom of marriage to say to his wife, and mean it, I love you, he'll be able to pass the test of saying to God, and mean it, I love you. If a man does not love his wife, in the classroom of marriage, he won't be able to love God. If a man does not say to his wife in the classroom of marriage, I love you and mean it, in the marriage classroom, he'll have a hard time saying that to God and meaning it. If a wife serves her husband in the classroom of marriage, then she'll be able to pass the test of serving God. If a wife does not serve her husband in the classroom of marriage, she won't be able to serve God. Because the home is our classroom, 
and the marriage relationship is our training course for our relationship with God. If husbands do well in the marriage training course of loving their wives, they'll pass the test of loving God. And if wives do well in the marriage training course of submission to their husbands, they'll pass the test of serving God. That's John. He says this, something very similar in 1 John 4.20 when he says, if a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Now we can hear John go right from that verse and extend it in 1 John 4.20 and say something like this. If a man say, I love God and does not love his wife, he's a liar. He that loveth not his wife whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Or we can hear John extend it and say in 1 John 4.20 in a different way. If a woman say, I serve God, and does not serve her husband, she's a liar. She that serveth not her husband, whom she hath seen, how can she serve God, whom she hath not seen? See, how can a man love God if he doesn't love his wife? How can a woman serve God if she doesn't serve her husband? That's what makes this third picture of Isaac in verse 8 so beautiful. Because it's a picture of Isaac doing well in the marriage training course of loving his wife. And so he can pass the real test of loving God. And now, turn to the next picture, and we see here the fourth picture of Isaac, which is in verses 9 through 11. In this picture, we see Isaac, he's been caught in his lie about Rebekah, the lie that Rebekah was his sister. And we see Isaac being rebuked for telling this lie by a heathen king. And we see Isaac embarrassed standing before this king telling for telling this lie. See, God loved Isaac too much to let him get away with telling this lie about his wife instead of trusting God to protect him and his wife. So God chastened or he corrected Isaac by having him be caught, just as like it says in Proverbs 3.12, and for whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. So here we see how Isaac's sin, it caught up with him. It found him, as it says in Numbers 32, 23. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. See, Isaac sowed a lie, and he reaped embarrassment. As it says in Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Actually, that verse in Galatians 6, 7 there says, Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he reap. In other words, the man is going to reap back the same thing. It really is true. What goes around comes around. That's what that verse is saying. He says he's going to reap exactly the same kind that he sowed. In this case, Isaac lied about the true identity of one of his family members, happened to be his wife. And later in life, he will be lied to about the identity of one of his family members when he thinks that Jacob is Esau, and he gives him the blessing that he intended to give to Esau. But this fourth picture of Isaac standing there before Abimelech, he's caught, he's embarrassed. It's not a good picture of Isaac. But in this picture of Isaac, what we're looking at is a fall. It's the fall of Isaac. But, praise the Lord, it's not the last picture of Isaac. And Isaac gets up again. And that's a characteristic of a man of God. Characteristic of a man of God is not that he never falls. But the characteristic of a man of God is that when he falls through confession and repentance, gets back up again. As it says in Proverbs 24, 16, for a just man falls seven times, rises up again. The wicked, they just fall into mischief. Now, Isaac has gotten back up from his fall, 
And now we see God blessing Isaac in this fifth picture. What a wonderful picture this is of God blessing Isaac. You know, the first blessing that God gave to Isaac was actually in verse 11, where he got an edict from the king, where it says in verse 11, Abimelech charged all his people, saying, he that toucheth this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Never mind killing him, but if you touch him, so you're going to be put to death. See, the very thing that Isaac feared of being killed by the people, now he's got an edict from the king that says that anyone who touches him or his wife is going to be put to death. It couldn't be better for Isaac for protection. He had an edict of protection from the king. When Isaac looked at this edict, that was a rebuke to him because Isaac thought like this, boy, you know, my father Abraham, he got his wife back and he got protected because God appeared to him in a dream and told him he was a dead man. That didn't happen here. God did not appear to this king. This king didn't have a dream in which he heard God said, you're a dead man. The king just looked out his window and saw nothing other than he was just, he was laughing in joy with his wife. He was rejoicing with the wife. Based on that, the king gives this edict. And Isaac says, I just feel so silly. If I just would have been honest from the start and openly declared she's my wife, I would have been protected. That was a rebuke. Well, that's a blessing that God gave to Isaac, this protection here. And what's surprising as we go on in this, verse, this fifth picture here of Isaac is how unlikely it was that he should be blessed and how fast he was blessed. I mean, it just happened overnight. I mean, the first picture of Isaac, we see Isaac being commanded to stay there and being promised that God's going to bless him, but he just didn't look like a person that was going to be blessed. I mean, Isaac doesn't look like a man ready to be blessed. His food's running out. His food's running low. He's hungry. I mean, Isaac doesn't look like a man that's ready to be blessed. He doesn't own any property. He's a foreigner. He's being allowed to work on some borrowed land. I mean, Isaac doesn't look like a man that's ready to be blessed. He's afraid he's going to be killed because of his wife's beauty. See? And Isaac, he doesn't look like he's ready to be blessed. It looks like he's on the verge of death. And a person on the verge of death doesn't look like he's ready to be blessed either. But believers on the verge of death, they don't look like they're ready to be blessed, but they're on the verge of going to heaven. Great blessing. In Isaac's case, it was just all of a sudden, something happens against all odds. He just becomes a rich man overnight. Verse 12 told us that we saw before, in that land, emphasized it was on that borrowed land. He didn't even own that land that he got all this bumper crop. Verse 12 tells us in the same year, emphasizing this is the year of the great famine. Everybody else can barely eke out enough food to stay alive. And Isaac's crops goes a hundredfold. You know, not 10 bushels of, of corn, a thousand bushels of corn. Or if you're thinking terms like I do of bales of hay, you know, not a hundred bales of hay, 10,000 bales of hay. That's a lot of hay. So this picture that we've got here, this fifth picture of Isaac is um, really emphasized to us in these verses 13 through 14. The man waxed great. He went forward. He grew until he became very great. He had possessions of flocks, possessions of herds, great store of servants. See the grain here? That was the bottleneck that God removed. And once that was taken out, then the grain came, and then all of a sudden these scrawny animals, they got fat on the grain, and they put on weight, and their coats got shiny, and the babies inside got fatter, and the mother's milk was richer, and the babies grew faster and fatter, and then, of course, more help was needed, and the help was paid in the grain, and then the livestock, until he reached the state that's described in verse 14. He had possessions of flocks and herds, a great store. See, there's no question about it that Isaac was blessed by God, and all his wealth came from God. Now you look at verse 12 where it says, Isaac sowed in the land, and the word there to focus on is received. 
he received in that same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. I see that word received. That word in Hebrew is the word matzah, which means found. It's the same word that's in verse 19, where it says, and Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. I don't know why the translators use this word received. Of the 458 times that this word matzah appears in the Bible, it's never used for received except for this place here. But they didn't ask me, so what can we do? So now, you look at verse 12 and 19, and there's this emphasis on this word matzah. It's found. In other words, God put the harvest there. God put the well there for Isaac, and he just found it. That's the fifth picture we have of Isaac, a man being blessed by God by finding what God put in his way. Now, we come to the sixth picture, which is seen in verses 14 through 21. In this picture, we have a picture of Isaac as being hated. Isaac is hated. Isaac has been seen as blessed by God. With all that blessing, Isaac has been seen as God's man. Well, obviously, that's God's man. And the inhabitants hated God, so they hated Isaac. That's John. He says this, something very similar in 1 John 4.20, when he says, if a man say, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or go to itunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor.